0: about emotional intelligence and developing future leaders. Diana Lowe, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me.
0: It is a pleasure to be with you today. You're joining us from the Phoenix area. I'm south of Salt Lake City in Utah. And today we're going to be talking about the importance of emotional intelligence in developing future leaders. Now, there are so many different components to effective leadership, and I I don't want to suggest emotional intelligence is the only important aspect. It certainly isn't. But among all of the array, the wide array of different characteristics and capabilities, Uh, I would say one of the most universal across settings that's important is emotional intelligence. And especially in this day and age with hyper competitive workplaces, rapid pace of change, disruptive innovations, just the messiness and the complexities and the uncertainty in the world around us. More than ever, we need people leading organizations and teams that really have a heightened level and sense of emotional intelligence about them if they're going to be able to be up to the challenge uh, of leading in this kind of uh, a modern context. So this is what we're going to be discussing together today. As we get started, I wanted to share Diana's bio with everybody. Diana Lowe is the CEO of Blue Light Leadership, a leadership development company focused on educating, training, and coaching emotional intelligence for remote leaders. Blue Light helps companies keep their top talent in this new remote and hybrid work environment in this war on talent. She works with directors and senior executives in Fortune 500 companies to transform their team spirit and communication, turning low-performing teams to highly productive and engaging teams. Her practice focuses on using evidence-based research in positive psychology for coaching, which allows her a whole-person wellness approach in coaching. Blue Light is a woman and minority-owned business, and Diana calls Phoenix, Arizona her home when she's not playing with her two little girls or hanging out with her hubby, you can see her on stage doing stand-up comedy. And if you are wondering, no, she is not that funny. That is what it says in her bio. But I think you are funny. I think that's incredible that you you do stand-up comedy and uh, also sounds like you have a beautiful family uh, really just all the way around. It's a pleasure to be with you. I'm excited to have this conversation. Anything else you would like to share with listeners by way of your background or personal context before we dive on in?
1: Well, I'm a global person. So I think this conversation will come from a global mindset. I'm Puerto Rican, born and raised, but my husband's British. I have my British passport and I've traveled and worked around the world. So I come to every conversation with a really global perspective. Um, I think that's the only thing that I would share.
0: I like, I aspire to be a global person with a global mindset as well. I've done a fair amount of traveling, a fair amount of working in other countries and living in other countries. Um, you know, I, I suppose it's all relative and, and uh, it's not a competition of who's been more global, but the reality is I find, you know, it's just so easy to kind of get into your groove and to get comfortable with where you're at and with your surroundings. And very quickly you can start to forget, you know, even if you have a lot of those international experiences, it's very easy to fall into the trap of forgetting, um, you know, that people around the world have completely different viewpoints, completely different ways of understanding the world. Um, and, and we kind of just get cut up in our own media bubble here. And, and, and we, you know, we just reinforce those same narratives over and over again. It's really, really helpful. And it's essential and important that we get out of that and that we can understand, um, you know, it's, it's one of the reasons why diversity in organizations is just so important. We need to pull that in as much as possible. If we hope to, to attract and retain good people from across the world, if we hope to resonate with customers from across the world, we, we definitely need to have that kind of global mindset. So I appreciate you um, laying that out there, too, as we start this conversation. All right, so I know you have a ton of background and experience, obviously in emotional intelligence. It's a, it's at the heart of what you do in your work with your firm. Tell us a little bit about what emotional intelligence means to you. Uh, you know, I, the term gets thrown around all the time, and I think some people just use it because it's kind of a catchy, you know, it's it's a modern uh, cliche phrase, totally. and, and and so people feel like they need to say it. Other people really do understand it. Tell me what it kind of Uh, how, how you understand it and why you feel it's important in the modern workplace.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Emotional intelligence gets thrown around, like you said. And I think most people understand the word emotional and they understand intelligent. Most people, I would say, think they are intelligent. So, and they know they have emotions. So most people tell me, oh, I'm already really emotionally intelligent. And that is true because adults have that skill. However, emotional intelligence is really for me, it's a set of skills that we use to identify our own emotions and then use that information, not to project our emotions, but to understand how to make better decisions in the moment based on what we're feeling and, observe and using our, our powers of observation for what other people are feeling. So when we're not connected to our emotions, we can't really make the best decisions for what what is actually happening. And I, I often think of it as like having blinders on. If we are blind to the emotional information in our environment, we can make really bad decisions. And I see this time and time again with leaders, especially really driven leaders who are focused on tasks. And let's face it, we're the way that we are raised, we're not really raised to be in touch with our emotions. We're starting to get there. But it's like, you know, if you have pain, push it down and keep moving. So the work I'm doing is it's undoing some things and creating a lot of awareness around like what is actually happening with us, because we tend to push it down or keep busy to ignore it. So that's really how I see emotional intelligence. It's really a set of skills in order to emotionally regulate and make better decisions.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I I like how you just term that emotionally regulate. And we can only do that if we Mm -hmm. understand what we're feeling, how we're feeling it, why we're feeling it that way, and how what we're feeling and what we're exuding impacts others around us, right? And so it's just that self-awareness is is so essential. Frankly, it's something that most people aren't very good at. (laughs) <laughs> um, you know, because, and not not because we don't have good intentions or not because we don't try to practice self-reflection or mindfulness or, or whatever, but it's just, you know, it, we're, we're so hectic, we're so busy, we're running around constantly. So that's part of the problem. Another part of the problem is, you know, it, it takes some a real kind of higher level of personal security um, and comfort with yourself to be mm-hmm. willing to look at yourself deeply in the mirror like that. Mm-hmm. Uh and, and everything that you're gonna see. <laughs> and, and, and it's it's one thing, you know, someone someone says something to us, they give us some feedback and it kind of stings, it hurts, we get defensive, right? Um
1: emotions, emotions, emotions. That's what you just right. said. So exactly. like it stings, it hurts. And so we try to run from that because emotions are inconvenient, right? Yeah. They're negative, they're frustrating. They're like most people's vocabulary for negative. Or I don't like to think of them as negative or positive, but for feelings that make, yeah, they just are, and they have information Uh and the information that they have. So emotions don't speak to us in words necessarily. It speaks to us in sensations. It speaks to us in, in pain, or it will sit somewhere within our body. It'll weigh heavy on us. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so if we don't understand or take time to decode that, then we just push it down. We keep moving. And one day it comes up as something else or it yeah. could manifest into some sort of disease or, you know, right. so I mean, I'm not yeah, a doctor, so.
0: <laughs> no, no, absolutely. There's a clear connection between emotional health and physical health. And yeah, um, yeah if, if we tend to get defensive, if someone else even even the most neatly crafted constructive feedback people tend to still get defensive over that if we get defensive with that how likely are we to look ourselves in the mirror and actually be truly self-reflective and 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 even critical of of what we see and and what we're how we're dealing with things right it's just i think there there's there's um what's the phrase? I don't know. Like it's just hardwired into our brains and our, our evolutionary psychology, you Mm -hmm. know, to, to avoid pain. And, you know, when we have those hard feelings, we often interpret it as it's it's not necessarily bad or good. It it just is, but we often interpret it as pain to be avoided, to be pushed down, to be shut out. And then we can't deal with it. We can't learn from it. And, and we're, we we become trapped by it, you know? So that's, it, yeah,
1: I, it keeps us stuck. You're right. Yeah. It keeps our, our career plateauing. It creates like environments where things are not good because we're not really dealing with X, right? We're not dealing with this, this feeling. And sometimes when we name it specifically, that it, instead of saying like, I feel bad. If you say, I feel really jealous about this that's an indication that you want something that somebody else has. So that might be a new goal, right? But jealousy isn't like something that we think like, oh, that's really good. To be jealous right. is great, but that can give us a deeper indication of where we need to be headed, what's important to us. Right. Well, you know, so there, it's really important. So this is the work that we have to do. And if everybody takes off one layer of are like you said that that protectedness uh-huh, and just yeah. kind of discovers that one layer we could be one percent better and that's better than no percent better right
0: yeah 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 absolutely and i you know i think people can recognize as we're talking this is important for our own emotional psychological uh and physical health mm-hmm. but it's also really essential if we're going to be effective and impactful leaders. Uh, We've all been around leaders who are anything but, and um, it's it's a struggle for everybody when you're in that kind of an environment, especially if there's a toxic leader. Um, So we need more emotionally intelligent, in tune um, leaders that can show empathy and and gratitude and compassion towards their people in genuine ways. (music) Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Academy. Courses, micro-credentials, and certificates to upskill and reskill for the future of work. All HCI Academy courses, micro-credentials, and certificates are designed, developed, and delivered by award-winning and internationally renowned scholars, educators, thought leaders, executives, and practitioners. Our courses, micro-credentials, and certificates will help you make your mark on the future of work and make an immediate impact in your organization's. We look forward to having you join us. We need to be able to take this beyond just, yeah, it's good for me, to recognizing this is good for me, it's good for my team, it's good for my organization. If I'm in a leadership role, if I have responsibility for others, I need to model this for others. I need to support and promote this and encourage it in the lives of those that I lead and serve. Um, and, and I need to, to really, as I'm thinking about the needs of my people and I'm trying to help them prepare for future career opportunities to develop into their future leader, uh, into that future leader potential, this has to be a key component in that mix, I think. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about that and how you, th- how, how can I, if I come to this realization that this is something important to me, I work on it within myself um, first I need to become more in tune before I can really help anyone else to become more in tune. Um, As I start to do that, how can I then start to pay it forward and really help those in my team, in my organization to do the same so that they're prepared for future opportunities to lead and serve in the organization in their future?
1: So it's interesting as you were talking about this and we often hear like more empathy, more compassion. I think that scares certain energy types, certain people who are more analytical, people who are more fact based drip, like facts and driven. I once worked, worked with a double PhD and he told me that that's like, he, he told me all the reasons he couldn't connect with people and that these things didn't work. And it was because his head, um, his head owned everything he did, right? So he lacked that Connection to his heart. Not saying that he didn't have a heart, but he was just like there was a barrier there, right? So when we let our head take over, then we hear words like empathy and compassion. We're like, "Ugh, that makes us like tense up a little bit." And what's interesting is a dichotomy that I see currently working with leaders is that in our Western society, the people who get things done—I get things done, I get tasks, I win, I achieve. Those are the people who are typically more task driven, task focused, and they're not really worried about empathy and they're not rewarded for having empathy and they're not necessary, they don't need to be. There's no reason for them to be in touch with courage or passion. They they have it, but for other people. They have it for themselves, but not for other people. So the paradigm shift that I think we're experiencing now and how everybody becomes more emotionally intelligent as we have to understand for our energy, what does more empathy mean? Like, what does somebody who's completely analytical, who's who's rewarded based on uh, understanding research and facts and data, what does being empathy mean? To, um, being empathetic mean, or being sensitive to other people's feelings, could it just be just a sentence that says, "Hey, John, I notice you're upset," or is it a case of? We, like, do we start rewarding people for having those behaviors? Because that's not what I'm seeing in corporate, current, uh, current corporate America. So it's really interesting. I think how we engage it is we have to start our own. We can't expect other people to necessarily model it because they will model it for themselves. What emotional intelligence looks like for them, right? And personally, I'm always going to say you need a coach. Obviously, would I like you to have me? Yes but I can't serve everybody. So just having starting to break through that awareness and understanding like, what does this actually mean for me? Because emotional intelligence is tied to our creativity. It's tied to our innovation. It's tied to our conflict management, to our accurate self-assessment. And like, it's tied to lots of different skills that we can have, but we need to have that space for for having that self-reflected. And this is something I've been working on. I'm still working on it. So, I cannot say that I read this and I study this and I work with people, but I can't say i'm I'm there. I think this is a lifelong process.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Nobody arrives at this um, because it's it by the very definition, you know, and as we've been describing it, it's something that's you have to continually strive to be in tune, and that only happens mm-hmm. as we kind of uh, exercise those muscles <laughs> and it's and true. practice. Practice it and really recognize. I mean, we and as as in tune as you think you might not might be in this moment. Um, the second that we think that we haven't figured out is the mo- is, is the the instant that we need to take another step back and reexamine, because you know that that kind. We just have to continually have intellectual humility and emotional humility around what we're doing and how we're interacting with those around us. You make a really important point about corporate America and about task-oriented people. Um, Certainly, it doesn't need to be either or. Like, You can be a very productive, task-oriented person and still show a lot of empathy and compassion towards people you can be both analytical absolutely. right it, 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 it certainly we we can do more of this in in tandem in combination and that's what I would argue we need in future leaders because do we need leaders who who have that analytical mindset who can understand data and look uh, dispassionately at problems and try to come up with solutions do we need that yes absolutely but do we also need leaders who can understand the full holistic picture, understand not only the business case, but the human case and the ethical considerations behind decisions? Absolutely, we do. And so yeah. this emotional con- intelligence piece, is it going to look and manifest itself a little bit differently for every person? Yes. Um, can everyone foster this and develop it in themselves? Uh, I, I absolutely believe so. Even the most narcissistic, arrogant you know, executive, can learn this. They really truly can if they're willing to take those first steps to take that step back, uh, look at themselves in the mirror and and address what they see and, and how they're processing the world around them. There can be transformations made in people. And we need more of those transformations. And we need to 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 mm-hmm. grow up and develop the next generation of leaders who, you know, as I look at the younger generations, younger millennials and Gen Z, there's, you know, again, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, really painting with a broad brush, broad brushstrokes here, right? Stereotypes. But generally speaking, younger generations are very, very interested in and in passionate about making a difference in the world, having Absolutely. an impact, doing social work that's impact. Meaningful, social yeah. impact, all those sorts of things. They're very, very passionate about all these things. The, all the ideas around emotional intelligence and empathy and social justice and just doing right by others. That's, that resonates very highly with younger people. Let's, let's tap into that, right? And, and prepare them, coach them, educate them, develop them into the next generation of leaders. Just like we saw, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago, predominant leadership style was much more authoritarian, command control. We've, you know, there's still some of that, but we've largely shifted in our overall leadership approach in most organizations, I think we can do that again. We can shift more moving into the future of work. And we need to, I think, if we're going to be successful and have healthy, safe organizations for employees.
1: And you know what's interesting about that, that I'm finding is that it's not just Gen Z, Gen Y, um, millennials that that need that purpose. In fact, I would say most of the people, baby boomers included, although they're... you most of them are transitioning out of the workplace. But I would say most people I encounter, they need some sort of purpose. It almost doesn't matter what generation they're from. I suspect that people in the past needed that as well. But because it wasn't the topic of conversation, it wasn't like something that was accepted. Or I know my dad had this philosophy, you just hate your work and you just do it. But I suspect that even though he kept that Um, societal philosophy everybody kind of had that like it's called work for a reason not play he still needed a a purpose and a meaning I think that's a a human yearning you know and emotional intelligence it's not something that's going to go away it's not it might transform and look different in the future but when we're working in such high pace fast pace people technology can work that fast but we still need time to reflect. We still, we can't work at those paces. So I think emotional intelligence just helps us really understand what we need as humans, you know, really understand that like, although I like this work and it's meaningful, it's killing me inside, right? Or maybe I didn't realize I actually don't like this work and I've been doing it because I've been living somebody else's dream. That's what I had. I, w- I started in finance. I did finance for a really long time. But somewhere in the middle of the nightmare, <laughs> the nightmare I woke up and I was like, "This is not my dream. Like this is not my nightmare. Why am I living this?" So I think eventually, we all come around to, I need purpose, I need meaning. And you know, emotional intelligence, I think, personally, just helps us get there with that awareness, understanding what we need, you know, what we're feeling.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. I do a lot of, of research in this space, so I'll just double I down on what you just uh, double down on what you just said, that absolutely meaning and purpose is one of the key indicators and top drivers of engagement, satisfaction, uh, and, and otherwise motivating people, regardless of age cohort, regardless of, of, of their age. Um, so I think that is a really, really important point. Um, so let's let's find ways to infuse our work, our organizations with more genuine meaning and purpose. in In terms of work design, in terms of the types of jobs that people do, uh, let's let's build more emotional intelligence into how we lead our people, and let's develop the next generation of leaders to be perhaps just a little bit better <laughs> than we are at this. And I think I think we can do it. Well, I think we Diana. Can. It has just been a pleasure. I know at the time I have to let you go here in just a minute, but before we wrap up for today, I just wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can connect with you, find out more about your work and then give us the final word on the topic for today.
1: Yeah, sure. You can connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm Diana Elo on LinkedIn. I also, you can um, connect with me under blue light leadership on LinkedIn. We have a company page and also um, my website is uh, bluelightleadership.com. And you can go there, read a little bit more about what we do. And if you think you have a leader who is maybe a little insensitive or comes across as a little un- unempathetic, let's have a chat. Or maybe you feel like your career is plateauing and you need to um, boost your own skills. That might be a good place to start.
0: Wonderful. Thank you, Diana. It has been a pleasure. I encourage listeners to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Diana and her team can do for you. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. Bluer Than Indigo Leadership, the journey of becoming a truly remarkable leader.